You are listening to Kaplan, weekdays 9 to noon on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Schwarber in left. Gun tags. And the Pirates win it. The Pirates score two in the night. And beat the Cubs six to five. What will it take to close the book? Doubleheader tonight. Three and two. Jose crushes it. Left field side. Sox win. A dagger from Abreu. And a doubleheader sweep. Cap and Company right here on ESPN 1000. Will you slide on all your nights like this? Live from Chicago, this is Cap and Company on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. I'm John Hood in for Cap today. Happy 4th of July to you and your family. With open phone lines for you at 312-332-ESPN, 332-3776. It's the telephone number. Hit me up on Twitter, twitter.com, tweetjhood. Also on Snapchat, snapjhood. You follow me on Snapchat. I will follow you back guaranteed. On the program here on this 4th of July, we'll hear from Jesse Rogers, who covers the Cubs for ESPN.com and ESPN 1000. We'll hear from him coming up at the bottom of the hour as we get ready for Pirates-Cubs, the last game of this series. They're going to play at 3 o'clock at PNC, so we'll hear from Jesse at the bottom of the hour. Also, we will infuse some of the stuff I do from Under the Hood weeknights here on ESPN 1000 into Cap and Company because we will talk some football. We will talk about the Chicago Bears and the NFC North with summer football. We have a very special guest coming up in an hour from now as we talk about what we can expect for bear season, which is right around the corner for Bourbon A. So we'll hear from Bill Barnwell from ESPN.com about what we can expect from the Bears. Also, we'll hear from a three-time NBA champion. Color analyst for the Chicago Bulls, Stacey King will be on the program coming up in our 11 o'clock hour. About 11.10, we'll have Stacey slated for the program. And playing time for your thoughts as well, 312-332-ESPN. Hope that you're going to have a great 4th of July. And thanks for being with us as we keep you coming until noon. That'll be Murph and Fred in for Carmen and Yurko here on ESPN 1000. So you heard the highlights courtesy of NBC Sports Chicago from the Cubs and the White Sox. We're going to cover both here this half hour. Let me start off first with some facts for you. When it comes to the Cubs, the fact is this morning they're 45-42. and 42. I'll give you some more facts about the Cubs. Since May 27th, the Cubs have the worst record on the road, 4-15. and 15. The Orioles, by the way, are 4-12 and 12, and the Blue Jays are 5-13. and 13. Yeah, the, the Cubs really walk with some baseball legends right there, right, with the Orioles and the Blue Jays. Some more facts for you when it comes to the Cubs. The Cubs have lost six straight road series. Again, 4-15 and 15 in their last 19 games on the road. The Cubs are now 12-15 and 15 in one-run ball games, including 5-8 and eight on the road after losing to the Pirates last night 6-5. Those are the facts. Now let's talk about what's real. And what's real is, is that the Cubs are flat. I do not see a path for this baseball team to win multiple playoff games this upcoming season. You know, it is interesting to watch this roster. And you hear from Joe Madden because Joe Madden is a guy that has three meetings every season. This is not anything different than what he's done since he's been with the Cubs. I think he did this with Tampa as well. Three meetings. Start of the season, halfway point toward the end. 
Theo Epstein, I'm sure, would like for Joe Madden to be a little bit more vocal and talk to the players collectively more often, but that's not how Joe rolls. If you remember at the beginning of the season, or toward the end of the season, I think last year, Theo Epstein talked about some things he wanted changed with this Cubs team. The approach, the old two out of three is good enough kind of argument was something that Theo did not like. He wanted the team to be more aggressive. You do realize that Joe is going to be the fall guy for all of this because of the holes on the roster and because Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer they did a good job, but not good enough to this point to be able to fill some of the holes in the roster. But I just want you to tell you what the real story is. We're talking about a 97 and 65 ball club, a 103 and 58 ball club, a 92 and 70 ball club, a 95 and 68 ball club. That's what they've been the last four years. They can't find 90 wins with good eyesight and a flashlight right now, the way they've been playing. They're going to make Pakota right. They're going to make the computer right. Pakota had this team as a 79-win ball club. Are they trying to prove the point? Are the Cubs trying to make Pakota right? As we talk about the Cubs with Jonathan Hood on Cap and Company on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. What I thought last night watching the game was really a microcosm of Cubs baseball all season long. Again, 45-42. and 42. Based on the roster, based on the core of the roster, the Cubs should be better than 45 and 42. The Cubs played three catchers yesterday. They started three catchers. How embarrassing is that when you take a look at the bottom of that roster when you had three catchers out there with Contreras in right field where he made a spectacular play. It surprised me late in the ball game where he guns down a runner, a pirate, coming down to the plate great arm by Contreras because I didn't expect that. Here's a guy here never played right field before and he makes a spectacular play but then you have to realize again it's a catcher playing right field. A no doubles defense out there and Contreras in the ninth having to run from his position all the way to the right field line and what does he do? He missed the fly ball. He got there but he could not catch it. How about that? A catcher could not catch the ball in right field. That's what happened yesterday. And so I'm watching this and I said, you know, this is the microcosm of the season so far for the Cubs. Watching that game yesterday, Hugh Darvish, Darvish six and two thirds, seven hits, four runs, six strikeouts. Not a bad outing. Not bad. It kept the Cubs in the ball game. But then Kimbrell comes in and blows the save. When I watched Craig Kimbrell out there yesterday, you could tell that this is still spring training for him because he had nothing on that fastball. It's not the same Kimbrell, the Hall of Fame-like stuff that Kimbrell had in years past. It seems like it's spring training for him. And this is what happens when you don't identify the closer at spring training. You don't identify a closer early. You have Kimbrell coming in. It's July. When will he have his good stuff? Late July? August? Whatever it was, it was not good enough last night against the Pirates. Some thoughts from Joe Madden last night as the Cubs lose to the Pirates. He says it was a very difficult loss. It's, it's, it's a difficult loss. These kind of losses are difficult. Um, but uh, you got to come back and play the next day. That's how this game's set up. Uh, I do like the fact we played a better brand of baseball. We did a lot of things well in spite of not having everybody out there today. I thought we did great. Um, just at the end, they got us. And some awkward plays. They're hot right now. They got us. <laughs> Yeah, okay. It was a difficult loss, but you cannot shine you-know-what when it comes to how this Cubs team has been playing. 
And then also, and this just shows you there's a disconnect there with this Cubs team. The the things that were sharp about this team a couple of years ago is, is just starting to fray at the edges when you watch Cubs baseball almost on a daily basis, on a nightly basis. Russell oh, goes over to second base. You know, there is an opportunity for Russell to just go to short way and go over the first base late in the game in the ninth. Instead, he believes he can gun down Diaz coming down the line uh, and the, he doesn't get there. Russell throws the ball to home plate, but it just it's just too late. He could have went just to first base on that on that grounder, but Russell thought he can be able to gun down the runner, and it didn't work. And so that was also a head scratcher. Why didn't he just go to first base in that play to cut down Diaz? Uh, but he, it just it didn't work out, and it was that uh, was very frustrating. But it's clear that the Cubs need some depth by the deadline because if it doesn't work out, man, it's going to be an underachievement, and that means Joe Mann's going to be out the door. Now, we can play the blame game all we want when it comes to Cubs baseball. I think that when you underachieve, everybody deserves the blame. You check the boxes with everybody. It starts with Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer. You get to Joe Madden, he goes to the players as well. There's a lack of focus, and there's a lack of seriousness with this team that we uh, are not seeing here. And, and it just doesn't seem like they're together. But the one thing that I will say is this, is that when you look at this roster, the core of this roster, I will always be steadfast when it comes to this roster. The leadoff hitter is Schwarber. He has a 324 on base percentage. Are the Cubs not going to change that, or is Schwarber just going to be there all season? You, you've got to be able to have someone and get on base. And I know that the seam heads and baseball people are like, well, you know, it, it's, it's Schwarber, and, you know, he's 324, but how often is he leading off? That's not the point. That, that Schwarber is your leadoff hitter with a 324 on base percentage. Got to be better than that. Got to find something better than that, the leadoff spot. That's number one. Call me old school, but I still believe in having someone at the top of the lineup that can get on. But the core of this team that I keep looking at with this roster, every time I look at these box scores, the Baez's, Bryant's, Rizzo's, the Hayward's, the Contreras, I I just don't understand why this team can't get get out of its own way. It's It's more than just bench guys. Because Jesse and I have argued about this on my Under the Hood show at night about... You know, well, you know, they don't have the quality depth to be able to get yourself over the top. And I just think that every time you see this roster, when a Baez is out there, when a Bryant is healthy, when Hayward, when, when Rizzo, when Contreras, when these guys are out there, you think the core of this team should be good enough. And it's not good enough. It's more than, oh, if the Cubs only had Grandpa Ross or oh, if they only had La Stella. It's more than that. It's about team, but it's also about your core guys being able to get it done and being able to focus. And by the way, Javi Baez, I know it's about the the Javi swag and being able to be on quick pitch on MLB Network and to be able to you know be online and go viral with your bat flips and how cool you are when you hit the baseball. Hey, just just a little bit of advice, you know. When you are struggling as a team, and maybe the Cubs don't even understand how much they are struggling as a ball club, especially on the road, when you hit a fly ball, you might want to just go a little bit harder to make sure that it's a double and not a single when the ball hits the wall. Just just a little advice. It's I don't mind the, the swagger. I don't mind the confidence. But understand the moment. 
understand that, hey, you know, we probably could use a, a double here instead of a single. There's plenty of time to be able to have a little swagger and walk out of the box believing you hit, you hit a home run. Just, a, just an idea that maybe when your ball club is struggling, maybe give a damn. How about them apples? How about that? I think that's important for this Cubs team because everybody's got to be on the same page. So, and by the way, for those that did not see the game yesterday, I want to point out about Bryant was not available, Hayward, because there's a lot of people on Twitter saying, how come Hayward was not there in right field? Hayward makes that play late in the game to help Kimbrell. There's no doubt. He, he makes, he, he's able to go from his position in right field to get to the line. He makes that play. I don't think there's any question about that. But I, um, but Hayward was out because of a hip, and we'll hear more from Jesse and whether or not Hayward's available even for today's game. But that's why he wasn't there, and that's why the Cubs had three catchers out there with Caratini and Bodie uh, and having Contreras for the first time play right field. It's just that uh, that move bit them in the ass. It's exactly what happened here on this 4th of July. Jonathan Hood on Cap and Company on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Let's hear from Jim Bowden because he has his view of the Cubs. Jim Bowden works for ESPN, does some great columns, and also from SiriusXM MLB Network Radio. Jim Bowden with his view on the Cubs' issues. I look at the bottom line, which is where are where are you today? You're second place, you're one game out. Mm-hmm. Uh, the season ended today, you're in the playoffs. So let's take a deep breath and let's look at that. Now, you have to address the last 46 games like you're talking about. You're not playing well. You're not playing at the level where you're going to make the playoffs if you continue along this pace. And so, you know, you got to figure out what are the issues, what are the problems, and how do we fix it? Certainly the signing of Craig Kimbrell, big step forward as long as he can come back and be the impact closer he was. That was a great first move. Um, but I do think you have to look at the team after playing this way for 46 games and understand it's not an aberration. Certainly the injuries you can't control are... Cole Hamels goes down with that oblique injury, and that's a big setback because he would have been an all-star this year. Um, but I, I do think that there are certain things that you can correct, and the three of us have talked about this before, but I do think you need a leadoff hitter that gets on base on a regular basis to create traffic. Now, we had Jed Hoyer on our show the other day, and you know, he talked about how pleased he was with the job Schwarber's done, and I understand the power, that's fine, but you got to get on base. You know, his on-base percentage is under 30%. And I think when you have the kind of hitters with Rizzo and Brian and Baez Contreras, get traffic in front of them, and you'll be surprised how the offense doesn't change a little, but it changes dramatically. And that's something you haven't had. When the Cubs won the World Series, Fowler was getting on base 37% of the time. It was a difference maker. So, you know, I tried, I tried to, um, to ask Jed if he had talked to the Royals about Whit Merrifield. He obviously couldn't answer the question, but, of course, uh, I wanted to get it out there because I wanted to throw it out there with the idea of, hey, here's a guy that can play second. He can play left field. He's a good defender. He gets on base. He hits for power. He steals bags. You know, that's the kind of uh, player to me that would fit really nicely on the Cubs team to add to what they have. And then I asked him about Will Smith, the left-handed pitcher with the Giants. Why? Because I'd love to see Smith and Kimbrell in the back end. So I kind of feel like, Something like those two moves would be the best play going forward. But one thing's for sure, the Cubs are going to have to do something to shake the team up a little bit between now and the July 31st trade deadline. 
So some thoughts there from Jim Bowden, who covers Major League Baseball for MLB Network Radio on Sirius XM. This is Cap and Company. Jonathan Hood in for Cap here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Let me move over to the White Sox. The Chicago the White, White Sox. Sox. How about that? Indeed, Mel. The White Sox, they win a doubleheader, winning 7-5 to five and 9-6. to six. You know, when you have a team that is rebuilding... It's difficult because you just want to see a glimpse of the future. Just a little bit of a glimpse. Through all the losing, through all the frustration, watching games, you say, yeah, you know, is there a little peek into the future when it comes to the White Sox? And yesterday, Sox fans like me saw a glimpse with the sweep of the Tigers in the doubleheader. Dylan Cease had his first Major League Baseball game over at Guaranteed Rate. Five innings pitched, he had uh, gave up three runs, four walks, and six strikeouts. His fastball was strong, but there's not a lot of control on it just as of yet because you can see the adrenaline. If you watch that game, watch clips of that game, man, his fastball was strong. He was getting up there, 97, 98, 100 miles an hour because he was feeling it. He wanted to be able to impress Don Cooper, the White Sox, help the White Sox win. The fastball didn't have a lot of control or command just as of yet, but it gets up there. There's no question. But I think that his curveball, his off-speed stuff, was really, really good. It really got the Tigers hitters off guard. Again, they haven't seen Cease before, so there, obviously there has to be an adjustment. His curveball was his out pitch. I thought there was some circle change movement with some of his curveball. Uh, I thought it was very, very good. So I was very happy to see Dylan Cease out there, and he helped the uh, White Sox win game number one. Um, the Sox, by the way, in that first game, they scored seven runs without a home run. Uh, the base running was suspect, but they still got a victory in that one. So, I mean, that's a positive in the direction for the Sox because what is amazing about White Sox baseball, here's a magic trick. You ready for this? The Sox have 41 wins with one starting pitcher. <laughs> How do you do that, right? Well, Giolito is really the guy for the White Sox. And, and the rest of it is a, a mixture of veterans and trying to piecemeal a, a, a roster together as far as the pitching staff is concerned. So it's uh, quite the magic trick that the Sox were able to get two All-Stars and have really one quality starting pitcher out of all of it. That, that says a lot about the American League. It also says a lot about the White Sox. So some thoughts from Rick Renneria the manager for the White Sox, because the Sox won the doubleheader, is this a sign that you're moving in the right direction? Yeah, I mean, it was a positive, uh, it completed a positive day for us, you know. Uh, I'm glad it went our way. You had two clubs fighting it out, you know, um, today in, in two games that, you know, um, specifically this last one, which was, you know, really well fought, but... Uh, it kind of puts an exclamation point on the day with the excitement that was coming with Dylan. And then you have a guy that's been with the club, you know, for a few years now and ends up finishing it off. It's nice. I mean, you had a lot of the pieces that are within the organization that have been coming to the surface and, and shining and, and doing well. And hopefully it's, uh, again, I know it's one day, two games, but it's a movement in the right direction. The Chicago White Sox. How about that? So some thoughts there from Rick Renneria, the uh, manager for the Chicago White Sox. 41-42 and 42 is the record for the White Sox. And 24-18, and the guaranteed rate. The Sox in game number two with Moncada. Man, I mean, so he's been up and down. April, pretty good. May kind of cooled off a little bit, but not awful. And then you see 
the what Moncada could be, right? Two home runs, including a home run to tie the game. Cordell came through with a couple of home runs. I think he could stay. <laughs> Wasn't sure early, but I think Cordell could stay with the ball club with the White Sox. And then Jose Abreu. Jose Abreu with the game winner, his 20th home run of the season. Jose Abreu, to me, has this, at least for me, has a feeling that uh, that he could be with this team for the next four or five years as a Canerco-type player. In that, there's a need for leadership for the White Sox, not from the manager, but just from the team. I think Abreu can be that guy for the White Sox. Why can't Abreu just be a guy that can be a cornerstone, a veteran for this team, and be around for a while? I know in the next year or a couple years, there's going to be a decision on what you do with Jose Abreu. If there is going to be a fire sale by the time we get to the deadline with the White Sox, I'd like for Abreu to stay. I think that that is your future DH for a long time. The Sox can figure out what they want to do at first base because that's not going to be destined for Abreu over the next five years. So why can't Abreu stay? I'd love for him to be able to stay with the White Sox. Um, I thought that Detweiler uh, pitched well in game number two. Uh, That top of the order, by the way, for the Sox in game number two. Seven for 17, three homers, six RBIs, four runs. Uh, They were getting it done against the Tigers uh, for sure. Uh, so I'm a, I was a big fan of the White Sox because, if nothing else, what we saw yesterday was just a little glimpse. doesn't mean that this is a, a turning point or anything like that. But because when you have a team that's trying to build towards something, you just know that this isn't a World Series team, more than likely not a playoff team, no matter what you see in the wild card standings. Uh, but at least there was a glimpse. Because you are, at this point, if you are Rick Hahn, if you're Kenny Williams... You're trying to establish what your core is for the White Sox. So Garcia, Moncada, Abreu, McCann can, yes, he can, can, Aloy, Sanchez, uh, Zach Collins, Cease, uh, Giolito, Ryan Cordell. There might be some others that I'm missing here um, that's on the, that's going to be coming up next season. Um, but you have to establish what your core is. If you're going to start from the bottom, establish what the core is and then add pieces as you go along. And the, the Sox tried to do that with the Machado deal. Of course, they fell short in that, and that's why he's a San Diego Padre. But from the White Sox standpoint, I mean, they're 41-42, and 42, and at least they're interesting. When I'm looking at baseball, I've always said this when it comes to baseball, I just need something interesting to get me to Bourbon A and the Bears. I always, that's how I look at baseball. Like, it, Just give me something interesting to watch and talk about so we can get to Bourbon A and get to Bears season so we can get start rolling in the fall. And so both sides of town, because of the Cubs' ineptitude and how they have underachieved, that team is better than their record. I believe they are because of their core. And from the White Sox standpoint, just give me something interesting. Just show me that there's a future in the core. Those are the things I look at with our baseball teams here in the city. Captain Company, Jonathan Hood here on this 4th of July. Glad that you're with me here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. We're going to hear from Jesse Rogers coming up uh, at 9.30, getting his thoughts about where the Cubs are. Uh, I want to move on to this because we are, uh, this is not just the 4th of July. It is um, the 4th of Kauai when it comes to NBA free agency. And so everything, all the big moves, whether Jimmy Butler getting traded to Miami or KD and um, Kyrie Irving going to Brooklyn and Sadoransky and Young going to the Bulls, whatever you think that that move is. Um, 
We know a lot of the major moves in the NBA as far as free agency, but we don't know where Kawhi Leonard's going. And so I think that there's three spots that he can go to. You might have read or heard the same things that I've heard. But when I look at free agency with Kawhi Leonard, and the reason why this is a story is because he holds the keys to the success of the Eastern Conference or Western Conference team that he goes to. It's the reason why that it is a story. It's a story because Kawhi Leonard is a, a terrific, quality, top 10 player in the NBA. And you saw what he did with the Toronto Raptors, leading the Raptors to an NBA championship. He was also part of the San Antonio Spurs championship, so he's got two of them. There's three spots. It's either the Lakers, the Clippers, or the Raptors. I'll break them down quickly. If, he, if Kawhi goes to the Lakers, they will be the favorites to win the NBA championship because Chicago's own Anthony Davis, as well as uh, LeBron James is there, along with the young Kyle Kuzma. Uh, if, that, if that's going to be the combination, more than likely they'll win the Western Conference. Of course, you still got to fill out the rest of that roster. If he goes to the Clippers, and I'll, I'll put a pin on this just for a second. I think that one of the reasons why there's a holdup in where Kawhi is going is because I think Kawhi and his camp would like to see what else the Clippers are going to do. If Kawhi goes to the Clippers, he will be the man. But he doesn't want to go on there alone. He wants to be able to have other quality players around him, so that increases the chances of the Clippers winning the NBA championship. Uh I think that that might be the holdup here. I think that because he's from Los Angeles, he's got family in Los Angeles, I think he'd like to play for the Clippers, but he's not going in alone. And then, of course, the third choice, and the choice I think he's going to make, is going to the Toronto Raptors. I believe that it's going to be a one-and-one, a two-year deal. He signs for one year and then the player option, and maybe he leaves after this next upcoming season. I think he's going to the Raptors for at least one more year. Uh, I think that he's he's in Toronto right now. I know the Canadian cameras are covering him like it was the OJ Chase, for God's sakes. So he's in Toronto right now, and I think that he's going to sign with Toronto. If he, it, but he's waiting on the Clippers to see what else they're going to do. Are they going to trade for Kevin Love? There's a lot of question marks, a lot of plate spinning when it comes to Kawhi Leonard. But I got a feeling he's going to go to the Raptors. We'll talk more about that a little bit later on in the program. Uh, coming up next... Uh, the Cubs are going in the wrong direction. Jesse Rogers tells us why. Coming up next, as you're listening to Cap and Company. I tried to show him. You're listening to my mans and them. Jay Hood. Yeah. Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000. I tried to show him. And the ESPN app. Yeah. Gone on you with the pick and roll. Younger Flame here in sickle mode. <laughs> You're listening to David Kaplan, weekdays 9 to noon on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. You're listening to Cap and Company on ESPN 1000, the ESPN app. Jonathan Hood in for Cap today. Happy Fourth of July to you and your family. This portion of Cap and Company is brought to you by Northwestern Football, Chicago's Big Ten team. Join Coach Fitz and the Big Ten West Division and Holiday Bowl champions at Ryan Field this fall when they host Ohio State. And Iowa and more. Season tickets are on sale now. NUSports.com. NUSports.com. Now it's time to hear from Jesse Rogers, who covers the Cubs for ESPN 1000 and ESPN.com. He's sponsored by Continental Toyota. Say hello to Mike Wishney when you say, when you go to Continental Toyota, he joins us here. As we get ready for Cubs and Pirates at 3 o'clock. Hello, Jess. Hey, Jay Hood. Good morning. How's it going, pal? 
Well, you know how it's going, pal. I got a, I got a, <laughs> I got an ice pack on my head after watching the the Cubs yesterday, and you were there to see it in person. Um, how bad was it in person to see the Cubs and their their, their ineptitude yesterday? Well, for eight innings, actually, it wasn't as bad as it's been. They played a pretty clean game. I know Javi Baez maybe didn't run out of the box, you know, but I don't, I don't want to give him a pass at all. Trust me, but. That's going to happen sometimes with star players. It maybe happens once too often with him. So other than that, for eight innings, they played a clean game. Yeah, you Darvish gave it up a little bit, but the Cubs just scored for him, and he, he pitched pretty well for him at least. Um, not perfect, of course. So it comes down to a one-run game late. You've got to win that. You have Craig Kimber on the mound. And then the ninth inning, they fall apart. Wilson Contreras can't catch that ball and right. And the biggest play for me, because you, you have a chance to take this thing to extra innings, it's just such a blatant mental mistake, is Addison Russell going home with the infield playing back. Joe is obviously playing to allow that uh, time run to score and go to extra innings, and he throws home even though he's playing back, and it wasn't exactly one hop shot. Um, that was a huge mental mistake, and then, of course, the sack fly follows it. So. You know, one-out walk, Kimbrough gives up, and then uh, the defense lets them down after that. So just a terrible ninth inning. Um, I thought they had bottomed out Monday and Tuesday. Well, they found a new way to win, you know. Um, <laughs> just just a terrible breakdown there. But before that, it was a pretty clean game. They, 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 they seem to be, you know, playing good baseball. But when you get blown out in the midst of a losing skid, losing month, whatever, like they did on Monday, it stands out. When you lose a heartbreaker in the midst of a losing month, it stands out. If any of that happens during some winning times, you'll, you chalk it up to those things happen. But these things are happening way, way too much. We're seeing a, a team that's almost 500 now. Okay, let, let's take it one other time here. Let's go with Contreras. First of all, I've never seen a ball club having to use three catchers in the lineup, but they had to do it yesterday with Contreras and Wright because uh, Hayward was not available, Bryant was not available. Um, so... I thought that Contreras obviously had one terrific defensive play. I didn't know he had that kind of gun in right field to to nail a runner. That was terrific. But then the way it was a no doubles defense, as I recall last night, and Contreras got over there, but just he just botched it. Um, is, yeah, did you think yeah. that did you think that there should have been a defensive replacement for Contreras late in the game? Well, not if Brian and Hayward aren't available. There's nobody left. You're going to put Bodie out there. You're going to put Robo Garcia out there. I mean, he's played eight innings and played pretty well. Had a line drive hit right at him, which can be hard to judge, and he, he caught that, made the throw in the eighth inning. Of course, if Hayward's available, he should be out there. You think? I mean, anyone wants to criticize Joe, I mean, he knows he's got to go Glover, but he wasn't available. He wasn't available. What are you supposed to do? Um, and he was taken away. It looked like the right center gap. I don't know if he had the best jump. He certainly ran his butt off to get there, and he was there. I mean, just get the glove out and catch it. Um so you tell me who the defensive replacement should be if Brian and Hayward are unavailable. No, I, I don't know. I'm asking, right? that's a, I'm asking yeah. you, like, because this is one of the things that you and I have talked about. We've talked about the the lack of quality depth on the roster. And so and yeah. this is why Contreras yeah. played his first game in right field ever. Yes, exactly. And it, it all comes down to two of their main guys being hurt. Now, someone tweeted at me last night, uh, if you knew that, why didn't you call someone up? You can't be short, too. Well, he was sitting Bryant. Hayward came in at 4.30. I saw him in Joe's office telling him that his side, back kind of area, left side was, was hurting, um, and he couldn't go. So Joe didn't know that till 4.30. You think he wants to play down two players? Uh, Contreras was in right for nine innings. 
that's the end of the story there. And he made a, a couple great plays, and he made one bad one. And that's going to happen when you're down two, two, two of your regular guys. The the Russell play is something. I, I could you help me with the defensive alignment? The the defense the the infield was back, but I thought back. that the yeah. the outfield was it was in. Um, that's what I well, that's what outfield, I saw yesterday. Well, yeah, I, I actually wasn't looking too closely at the outfield. Obviously, the outfield's cheating in a little bit to you know a sack fly. Obviously, a ball to the wall ends the game anyway. So they're trying to cut down that sacrifice fly. So they may have been cheating in, but you're 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 up a run. So you're playing your normal defense. You're up a run. Different if it's the, if you're tied and that's the winning run. So Joe chose to play somewhat of a normal defense, get the out, um, and and hopefully get the next out and and either win the game or go to extra innings. And it was set up that way. If everything plays out the same way, Russell throws to first, fly ball to left, you're out of the inning. Now we don't know what that next batter does if Russell goes to first, but. But it, 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 you know, it was set up that way, and Russell did something he wasn't supposed to do. Uh, only go home on a really hard one-hot shot uh, when you're playing back like that. Uh, and he afterwards said he would have done it again. He doesn't regret it, which is mind-boggling to me. Uh, <laughs> Joe Madden five minutes. <laughs> Joe Madden five minutes earlier said it, it was the wrong thing to do, and Addison says he would have done it again. Now God knows. I hope Brian Butterfield, the infield coach, or Joe Madden himself goes to Addy today, or someone does, and tells them that's the wrong move. But you know what? He should have been told that when he was 12 years old, because <laughs> a 12-year-old knows infield in, you go home, infield back, you go to first. It's, it's just, unless, again, a really hot, one-hot shot that you can, you can get the guy out at home on. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable that he made that mistake in my mind. Jesse Rogers covers the Cubs for ESPN.com. He joins me, Jonathan Hood, on Cap and Company on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Addy didn't see this, but I saw it because I'm watching the game, and I saw the Pittsburgh feed, too. Yeah, Diaz had a, a late jump off a of third base. I don't think that Addy saw that. Maybe that was his th- thinking, if he did see it, that Diaz did not get off of out of third base um, quickly, but still, the play was to first base, and you let that run score. That was the play, so right. I agree with you there. Yeah, good observation. He did stutter a little bit, Diaz. Mm-hmm. You're right about that. There was a little bit of a late jump. I was about to ask Addison that, but right before I was about to ask him, he just reiterated he had no regrets he would have done it, it no matter what. So I'm like, all right, well, then there's the answer. It doesn't matter <laughs> if he stumbled or not. He was yeah. throwing home no matter what on, on a play like that. So it, it, I, don't, I don't think he did anyway. I don't think he saw the late jump. I think he just figured, I'll go home with this. Yeah, um, um... It's, just, it's just not what you do. I'm sorry. It's just. Uh, they they, set, they they had a meeting on the mound with Tommy Hadaby to set things up. They obviously decided didn't feel back. You go to first, get the out. You play. You know, you know, live to fight for, for the tenth inning at that point. Jesse, your, your point that you made on Twitter talking about Kimbrel is is spot on. I think that. When I'm seeing Kimbrel out there, I'm, I'm seeing March Kimbrel. I'm seeing like early April Kimbrel because there's no electricity on that fastball. It, he did not have command. I'm thinking that when you get to August, you know, maybe you start seeing the Kimbrel that we saw in with, with other teams. But that that outing yesterday showed me that he still has some work to do. Yeah, he's going to have more command issues than anything. I, I wonder about this whole contract. And uh, you know, if you if you sign if you sign. Next year, you know, like a normal free agent at the end of this year, I'd be fine. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm more faith in 2020, Kimbrel than I do in 2019. And I said this a couple months ago when he was still out there. So I don't know about signing a pitcher. All right, maybe it is August. Maybe 
you're right. But either way, we're not in August, and it's going to be some wonky moments, up and down moments. And that's why I absolutely agreed with Jim not to walk Frazier to load the bases. Now you're putting a lot of pressure on a guy that's probably going to have some command issues. Already walked the guy, walked the guy in that inning. Uh, I disagreed with the idea of walking Frazier. Um, I just don't like it. Don't like it. Um, but uh, we, we cannot expect Craig Kimbrell to be at, at full pink Kimbrough right now. You just can't. And maybe you're right. Maybe it'll be August 1st. Some scouts said wait till next year. Hopefully that's not the case. But um, right now he's in his third, fourth appearance. You're going to get some ups and downs. And it wasn't even that bad. He walked the guy. He just wasn't missing enough bats. Like he got the ground ball from Frazier, but that scored a run. Got the fly ball from Dickerson. That scored a run. He, he needs to strike out a guy or two there. And even he said that after the game. Well, uh, I thought that Darvish pitched well enough to keep the Cubs in the ball game. What, what stood out most about his performance? Yeah, I'm one of these guys that now, if he pitches six innings, three, four runs, especially in this day and age with the ball flying, I'm like, all right, that's pretty good. I thought he was okay. You know, he gave back runs one time, I believe, but mm-hmm. I thought he was okay, made some big pitches. Uh, he only had one really inning where he grooved it to him. Uh, back-to-back doubles, then a home run by Marte. That was a bad inning, and he said that to the lefties. You know, he needs to be better. He did lose it a little bit mid-game, but I thought he was okay, kept them in it. Um, you want better? There's no doubt you want better, but I'm, I'm, I'm more surprised when he does better than when he does worse. So that's my attitude about it. But he pitched okay. Yeah, I'm just, you know, I, I I know that for the money and for the veteran that he is, it should be a lot right. better. I'm just, just this morning, I'm just saying that you'll just take anything that's quality from, from Darvish. I'll take the six strikeouts to six and two-thirds. You know, it, baby steps, I guess, with him, unfortunately, that because that's where he is right now. Yeah, exactly right. Um, get a quality outing. You're right. Six innings, three runs or less, you'll take that. So, he was right around that kind of thing there. So, uh, yeah, I, did, I mean, they didn't lose because of Darvish for once, right? They lost because uh, they lost because of what happened in the ninth inning, and they did leave some runners on base that you don't even think about if you win the game 5-4. But Almora had second and third and one out, couldn't punch anything across. Baez maybe didn't run out of the box, could have been on second instead of first, some things like that. But, you know, we could probably go through the Pirates lineup and say they left this out there, they left that out there. Bottom line is you're up 5-4. In the ninth, and you had a pop up to the right field, a ground ball to second, and a fly ball to the left, and somehow they scored two runs. It may not be this way in the clubhouse, Jesse, but when I'm watching Cubs baseball, they just look it's like like that game yesterday. They just look stressed. They look like they're pressing, and that's not what we saw from Joe's teams the last few years. You can just tell that there's a little bit of difference in, in the way the Cubs go about their business and, and this year. It just doesn't look the same. Yeah, I would agree with that, especially lately. Now, I agree with it lately. I, you know, when, when they were playing 23-7 and seven baseball for a month, we weren't saying that, but there's no doubt the, the pressure keeps on mounting, and they're, they're using Joe's uh, saying, they're letting the pressure exceed the pleasure at this point and a lot of this stuff that we're seeing does go back to joe it does go back to the manager and i mean my god there are what a couple games above 500 as they hit the all-star break uh wouldn't shock me would it you if if theo made a rash decision here and changed manager it wouldn't shock me how could it how could it the way this thing is going he he he's he and jed have indicated changes would be on the way it's just a matter of is it manager is it selling I don't think it's going to be major. They're not sacrificing any farm farm prospects they have 
to add to this mess right now. They, they, the team has to show them, but three weeks, whatever, before the deadline, they've got time to turn it around. But in the immediate future, could they change managers? You'd have to consider it. Last year of his deal, he was already on the hot seat, and a lot of the stuff that is going on does go back to Joe. And, you know, I, in my book, in my book, Jay, yes. there's, a, there's a story from Ben Zobris. He talks about the one time he saw Joe Madden really angry. I believe it was right after the All-Star break in 08 or 09. I can't remember which one. Remember, in 08, they went to the World Series. But I do know it was right after the All-Star break, Joe Madden got furious with the Tampa Bay Rays. That's the one time Ben Zobris has ever seen it. If, that, if, in fact, that's the only time that's ever happened in his managerial career, fine. But he might be due for a second one. This might be the perfect time. Instead of the, instead of the relax, we're going to get through this thing, it might be time to turn over table. Not for, not for just the sake of doing it, but because he doesn't do it very often. It would mean something. Because he doesn't get angry very often, it would mean something. My feeling, I think there's a bunch of players in that locker room waiting for somebody to do something, whether it be Rizzo get angry, Joe Madden get angry, whether it be just somebody get in someone's face. I, so I'm with you that, that, that this, is, this does go back to Joe, and he might need to pick a, a second time in his managerial career to light somebody up either verbally or through his actions. Um, not always is the velvet hammer using his saying the right way. Sometimes the kick in the butt is the right way, and he has chosen not to go that route, at least publicly. And that's all in your book where we can find this. I mean, it's summertime. People really need to purchase this book, right? Well, yeah, I think, uh, like we said yesterday, uh, Joe needs <laughs> Joe and the players need to open it up. <laughs> Try not to suck a definitive bio on Joe Madden. And like I said, that, that, that Zobra story is in there right after the All-Star break, and he said it worked. He said it, 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 it meant something to the team. So I don't know why Joe isn't going to that, because you do save that. You do save that. But this, I feel like, is about the time to do it. Um, he had a team meeting the other day. He probably could have done it there. I don't, I, you know, I don't know how, how it manifests itself, but there needs to be more than just a uh, we'll go get him tomorrow sort of attitude, in my opinion. Jesse, as always, appreciate your time. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Have a great holiday, J-Hood. Take care. Try not to suck. There he is, Jesse Rogers, with us here, uh, brought to you by Continental Toyota. Say hello to Mike Wishney when you go to Continental Toyota. Twin Peaks is the ultimate sports lodge you've been searching for. At Twin Peaks, each guest has the best view a fan could ever want for every midseason rivalry match playoff series, title fight, and championship game. Surround yourself wall-to-wall with televisions. MVP caliber made from scratch food. A beautiful Twin Peaks girl that will drop off 29, oh my god, big time beers. Wow. <laughs> 29 degree beers? That, that'll that work to help you celebrate a victory or forget a defeat. A legendary sports watching experience every time Twin Peaks eats drinks scenic views that's twin peaks all right coming up we ask one question to someone special from this program on cap and company right here on espn 1000 jonathan hood so pay attention to my word because it's the true truth meditation is the mind it brings to you it's like a verse you could never read out of a book dropping the line in your mind like a fish hook on espn 1000 you're listening to David Kaplan, weekdays 9 to noon on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app.
Childhood Hood in for David Kaplan and Kaplan Company here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Happy 4th of July to you and your family. Thanks so much for tuning in with you until noon. Then it'll be Murph and Fred in for Carmen and Yurko right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Well, every night on my show, Under the Hood Weeknights at 7 right here on ESPN 1000, we always are trying to just find people to join us because some people at night don't have time to spend like doing a full interview. But we did catch Cap and Company's Danny Zetterman, the executive producer of Cap and Company, and we asked him just one question. You guys lose this game or did the Jazz win this one? Time for one question. What? With Jonathan Hood. Bro, what are you talking about, man? Just one question. Oh, there's one more thing. On ESPN 1000. Oh, yes. One question. We talked to my friend, executive producer of Cap and Company on ESPN 1000 and the host of a hit podcast you can hear on ESPN 1000 on something I need, nutrition. It is Danny Zetterman. Veteran newsman Dan Zetterman is with us here on ESPN 1000. Hello, Danny. Hello, Hoodie. I love that I'm Will Purdue's warm-up act. <laughs> well, someone has to be. <laughs> I, I hope I hope you're not going to ask me how Will Purdue ruined my most prized piece of sports memorabilia. You should tell that story. I'll tell it quickly. Do you remember the Phil Jackson show? I think it was on CBS at the time, yep. and our buddy Howard Sudbury was the host of it. <laughs> And I went to the Phil Jackson show on my birthday, and they had this bit where if you shot two free throws, you got a Michael Jordan autographed ball, Phil Jackson would sign it in front of you, and then whoever the guest was would sign it as well. So when I was there, I was lucky there were two guests, Scottie Pippen and Will Purdue. So I begged Howard Sudbury to let me shoot the free throws, and sure enough, he picked me because it was my birthday, and I sunk them both like you knew I would. And I get the ball, and it's got MJ's signature, and then Phil Jackson takes it, and he signs it, and then Scottie Pippen takes it, and he signs it. I wanted to be like, no, Will, please don't do it, but Will signed it as well. So I have a Michael Jordan, <laughs> Phil Jackson, Scottie Pippen, Will Produce signed ball in my head. <laughs> and that's a 100% true story. I have the VHS tape to prove it. I don't, I've never heard that story, but that's really good. <laughs> I told it to Sudbury the last time he came in studio to talk about the happenings at Arlington Park. He loved it. <laughs> Don't forget the armchair armchair nutritionist. You can download that wherever you download your podcast. Also, look for it on at uh, ESPNChicago.com. All right, Danny, are you ready for your one question, sir? All right, let's do it. I'm nervous. I've been nervous all night. You all know I, I would always. I'm not, no need to be nervous. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm nervous. Don't be nervous. It's me. It's not a stranger. All right, I'll pretend it's just the two of us chatting. Okay. Danny, what is the worst uh, eating or restaurant experience that you've ever had? The worst eating, or are we talking service or food? Yes. Okay, the, I'll, I'll go with food. I was in London, England, and I was trying to be as healthy as possible, and there is nothing healthy in London. So I said to the waiter, I'd like a grilled chicken breast, please. And he brought me out a big, heaping, greasy piece of fried chicken covered in cheese. Oh. And I said, excuse me, sir, I ordered grilled chicken. And his response was, yeah, we grilled it before we fried it. <laughs> Thanks, Danny. Absolutely, honey. Have a good night, bud. Jonathan Hood.
ESPN 1000.